May the Lord bless you all. May he bless every one of you on this day, dear brothers, sisters, people of all ages. A special greeting also to our newcomers, first-time guests. A greeting to you with all my affection, and I am hoping that God blesses you greatly. And God also bless all those present here with me. A blessing to all of you as well. And so now you can get comfortable. You can be seated. And I hope that the brothers and sisters who know the wonderful work of the Lord are no longer lazy to go to the congregation are no longer lazy and say, well, okay, since the sister has a live stream, I'll watch it at home. The live stream is for the newcomers, first-time guests. And also there are many people who are ill and can't make it to the congregation. Other people live in remote towns where the church is not open. And so the sermon or this ease of the live stream is for those who are unable to congregate. There are many people in Africa and Asia who are spiritually nourishing themselves with this wonderful sermon from their homes because they don't have a church in those places. And they would long for the church of our Lord to open where they are. So to the brothers and sisters who have been in the church for some time now, I ask you to prepare yourselves. Read the Bible a lot. Learn the doctrine and be mindful of the teachings that the sermon that you're listening to should not go in one ear and then out the other, but you should truly act, obey, and take heed, being obedient and doing things as God is teaching us. Because God is teaching us through the Bible, by revelations, prophecy, visions, dreams. Even through the miracles the Lord works, He teaches us through that as well. He teaches us that He exists, that He deserves the honor, the glory, and praise. He deserves that we obey Him. That we submit to his will. That we always be subjected to him. Waiting on him, but also giving to him what he deserves. To obey and to do God's will. Pleasing God and keeping his commandments is what God demands from us. This is why... The teachings will be continuous and repetitive all the time so that we do not forget and so that we grow little by little and that we spiritually progress and please God. That no one should become only a hearer, someone who only tunes in to the internet to listen to the sermon and becomes a hearer only. God does not want hearers of the word, but doers of 
the Word of God. That is the effort we must make every day of our life to please God in all things and ask Him to teach us His ways. So, in your prayers, when you pray to God, always say to Him, Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me, guide me where it is I ought to walk. Tell me if I am walking down the right path, if I am doing your will. Teach me, correct me. Those expressions should always be in our prayers, asking the Lord to help us. Let us strive to do God's will. Let us work toward that so that the Lord may give us the spiritual things, the spiritual gifts. God can never give spiritual gifts to a person who has not converted to him wholeheartedly. A person who is just a hearer of the word and not a doer, meaning they do not keep the Lord's commandments, then God cannot give them the spiritual things. So we are aspiring to have those spiritual gifts in perfection. But for that, we need to please God in all things. Read Psalms. Read Proverbs. There you will find all the rules and all the things that are needed in order to please God. So this is my advice and recommendation, my dear brothers and my dear sisters, and to all of those who are listening. And today, we are going to continue in First Peter. Peter, an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, walked with the Lord. He was a witness of the miracles and signs worked by the Lord. A witness of the teachings of the doctrine. Peter, well, he's a being that we envy in a way because he walked with the Lord and heard that marvelous doctrine from him directly. But today, we hear the Holy Spirit. He teaches us glory to God. And today we continue in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we will read from 1 to 22. And we have here about two different topics in this chapter. And you already know, brothers and sisters, when we read a chapter, it's not just one topic. It could be two, three. But either way, we are always delighted. So we do change topics. We move on to a different one, but we are delighted in learning. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was with Peter. The Holy Spirit revealed the doctrine to Peter and how the church should be managed and how to conduct the congregation. And the doctrine and all the rules and the things that needed to happen in the day-to-day -day life of a human being. All of this was revealed by the Holy Spirit. This is not something the apostles invented, but it was God guiding them and teaching them, for this is what the Lord had promised. The Lord promised this. Let's never forget the promise the Lord made to the apostles. 
when he sent to them to go throughout all the world and to preach the gospel. Now, of course, he knew the apostles who were there at the time. They were not going to be able to accomplish all of the work of visiting the entire world and preaching the gospel. The Lord knew that it was going to be the followers, the future believers, who would be fulfilling this command of going throughout all the world and preaching. And the Lord would also say to them, do not be saddened. He would say, because I am departing, do not be sad because I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you orphans. I will send the Holy Spirit. Let's remember this is written in the Gospels. The Lord would say to them, I will send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be with you. He will be with you all the time. He will be with you forever. And he will teach you. He will guide you, lead you. He will tell you everything that needs to be done and how it needs to be done. Glory to the Lord. All of that has come to pass. All of those promises and commandments of our Lord Jesus Christ, all of it has been fulfilled. And even to this day, it is being fulfilled. Glory to our God. Because how many times have we distorted or interpreted the Bible literally as if it were a historical book only or a book of poetry? And the Holy Spirit is attentive to teaching us, correcting us. He guides us. He tells us things are like this. He gives us to each of us experiences and we live many things and he teaches us and it's so that we learn because things are this way and that way and you've lived this experience and this can happen to someone else and now you know and now you can teach and you can give guidance you can comfort someone so there we have the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled when he said he would send the Holy Spirit who would be guiding and teaching us. So today, the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us, who guides us, who advises us. He is the one who is conducting us down this path. Glory to the Lord. And we thank the Lord. We give thanks to our almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, the creator of the universe. We give our God thanks and thanks be to our God, because in our prayers, we should always ask the Lord that he put us all to work in his vineyard, in his church, in his congregation, however we want to call it, and that he put us to work and that he fill us with the power from on high so that we are able to evangelize and people will convert and the Lord will then have many people to praise him for he is worthy. Very well, now here in chapter 3 of Peter, in some Bibles, there might be a subtitle to begin with, which is Submission to Husbands. Now, I don't know if yours has subtitles, but either way, let's not be too concerned about the subtitles, but let's worry about the content, which says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, we're going to read something that has been misinterpreted, misconstrued by society. Something that a lot of people do not agree with. 
men and women do not agree with this and say, well, I'd rather not believe in the Bible because it teaches very difficult things, hard things to fulfill. But we're going to also go back to that time. We need to go back to that time and their customs because as time goes by, customs change. Customs and the way that people eat and nourish themselves, how people clothe themselves, it all changes. And technology and science grows, so things in humanity change. So customs change. And today, well, we say, well, so long ago they used to live such and such way. They used to do things that way. And so long ago there wasn't this or that. And in the future, those future generations will also say the same about us. So many years ago, the customs were this and that way, and now it's different. And now the way that we eat is now through a pill. We don't have to chew anymore. Now we just swallow a pill. We don't know what awaits us in the future. I'm just saying. This is just something I'm saying so that we can understand and comprehend that things change. Things evolve. Everything is transformed. And from what? Well, from what God already made. What God already made, it is transformed and it evolves and it changes. And we, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we must then place ourselves in the context and in the time that we are reading about. And we're reading, of course, about time and antiquity thousands of years back. And it says, so that people love this scripture and not become worried by it. Let us not worry about it. And it says, I repeat, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. But what wives, what husbands? Is it husbands and wives of the world, people who don't know God? Is it people who have mental illnesses? Is it people who are deranged, who don't know God or seek him? Is it those people? Brothers and sisters, those who are here with me, what do you say? No, the brothers and sisters here say no. So no, he was not speaking to the women or the wives of the world or any husband of the world, but to who? It was to the people that God was forming and God called them his people, his church. Because it says that Peter, he began to preach the gospel to the Jews. And many Jews converted to the gospel. And he, the apostle Peter, was preaching to them. He was preaching to the Jews. Peter's congregation, his believers, his followers were Jews. And how did the Jews in antiquity live Abraham and Sarah? Well, they lived under the submission of the law of God, under the subjection of our God, right? So when we say subjection, are we saying that we're slaves? Well, in a certain way, if we're slaves to God, well then glory to God, because 
I, I do agree with that. I like being a slave to God, subjected and submissive to my God, which is all the same. So in antiquity, those people who came from Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, they, God, gave them his laws, his rules. They were holy men, holy women. And then God formed his nation, his people, and says to them, these people who he has chosen for himself, where he's going to manifest himself, where he will rule, where I will give them joy, happiness, peace, I will lead them to a land that flows with milk and honey so that they can enjoy my presence. Well, then those men, they had to be holy men and they had to be holy women. But as we have the enemy close by, the enemy distorted the enemy disrupted the mind of the people. And some, some were able to fulfill the Lord's commandments. And when the Lord saw that people were not able to change on their own or to do his will, God then gave the laws through Moses and said, well, whoever does not keep the law will then be punished physically. The punishment was physical. And the transgressor will be punished. So people, out of fear of punishment, out of being afraid of the punishment coming from the law of God, they would submit, be subjected to the commandment, to the divine order of the Lord. They would submit to that. They would subject themselves to that. It's the same. So this is why it says... Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. But this is now, again, the wives who had converted to the gospel of the Lord. And these husbands were men who had converted to the Lord. And they were now living a spiritual life, a Christian life, a life of spiritual gifts, living an upright life without sin. They now were experiencing these things because the Holy Spirit was helping them to be holy, to live a holy life. And this is why Peter says to them, Wives, you must submit yourself. You must submit and be with your husband. So you must be with him and you must respect him because he is a holy man and deserves respect. And as in antiquity... There was priority and relevance to men. Women were pushed aside and greatly disregarded. And this is why there was a demand for women to behave a certain way with their partner. Now, speaking here, of course, of marriage. We're speaking of marriage. And it says that this good example... And the good treatment that these wives should give their husbands because they were holy, so they were not drunks or assailants, kidnappers, liars, deceivers, conmen. They were none of these things, but they were men who were holy, seeking God, so they deserve the best. They deserve that their wives give them the respect that they deserved. Don't you agree? Do you agree, brothers and sisters? I'd like for you to say amen so that the brothers and sisters hear you. All right, good. 
Because it seems like you're a bit scared. You say amen. Brothers and sisters, we continue. And this example is useful. Because it says that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Do we agree now with this verse? And now we're going to love it. Verse 2. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So chaste conduct, that's how it was. That's how Sarah behaved with Abraham. Verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, but that adornment must be inward. In the past, in antiquity, the adornment to reflect importance or high ranking or to show superiority, the adornment was outward. And in antiquity, there were those who were poor and rich. And the rich, the women who were rich in antiquity, would dress and adorn themselves with many precious stones and jewelry, a lot of gold, gold, silver, platinum, all of the most precious and fine things because they had money. So to show their importance, they would dress as such with great splendor. And when everyone else would see them dress this way, they would honor them. They would render homage to them because they would say, well, this is a very important woman. This is a woman of high society. This woman is important and deserves for me to bow down and greet her to remove my hat or turban and greet her because she is an important woman. Because the adornment was reflected physically. So the more jewelry you had, well, the better you were of higher rank and social status. That was the adornment in antiquity. But in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that adornment, that was outward change. Now, it's not because the Lord forbid it. And it's not because the Lord is upset for a woman to dress this way. No, because today we have poor and rich people. Only that today, a woman who is poor but has gold and wears it, and then a woman who is rich and wears gold, they both go out and no one distinguishes the two because the poor and the rich, they both have precious stones and have gold and they're well-dressed and up to fashion. So they're confused. So they, are, they look the same. Both women look the same. So how then do you know what a woman's inward adornment is. What is that inward adornment? How is it reflected? How is it seen? With values, with virtues, with good qualities, good manners, modesty, humility, mercy, love, wisdom, seeking God, having many spiritual gifts, serving God, working for the Lord, helping people, loving people, offering a smile to a person to be sincere and not hypocritical with anyone and not being a gossiper or a backbiter. So in being that way, there you are reflecting what your inward adornment is. What is in your heart? 
And with that, you are showing that you are a daughter of God. Again, we're speaking of women. So a daughter of God, this is a daughter of God. And so maybe one of those days, that daughter of God goes out dressed very modestly because for her, it's not important to dress too extravagantly because what's important is to have God in the heart. The inward adornment is important. And this is why the apostle said, you as women, because he was speaking to Jews, women who had converted to Christianity, they were Jewish in the past and they had a culture. They had customs and a way of dressing. So this is why the apostle Peter tells them, well, in the gospel, everything is changed. You no longer need to be those women of antiquity submitted to the law of Moses. You now will submit or be subjected to the law of the gospel, to the law of the Holy Spirit. So you now, your adornment doesn't need to be outward, but it now needs to be in the heart. So this is what verse 3 is saying. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair. He gives examples here. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. So if you dress this way, but you don't have God, you don't have spiritual gifts, and you're a rude, rough person, a person that deceives and lies and is false, do you think this person will still look beautiful even if she's adorned with these luxuries? No, she won't look beautiful. The beauty will not be seen in the gold or in the hairdos or in her fine apparel because what we are truly looking at is what is in the heart. Let that be clear. What is in the heart? That is what the apostle was saying to these women. He was saying, you come from a culture and custom where your apparel and your jewelry is what you needed to show people, but not with the gospel. Yes, you can continue to wear the things that you have. You don't need to throw them away. You don't need to give them out to someone else or destroy them. No, you can continue to dress the way you're dressing, but just know that your personality, who you are as a person, no one is going to classify you by how you dress, but what is in your heart, your behavior, your virtues and qualities. This is from what here on out will be seen in the women of God, in the women of the congregation. So that is how the apostle was teaching these women. Now, is this teaching also relevant to us today? I think it is. It's very relevant to us. And so today we're not going to show our importance or our ranking by our precious stones and pearls and gold, nor in fine apparel, but we demonstrate that we are daughters of God with the way that we behave ourselves and the way we win over souls for the kingdom of heaven. With those values with those good qualities that God gives, that the Holy Spirit gives when we are sincere with the Lord. This is our adornment today. So now you will no longer hate this verse, right? And with verse number four, it reads, or rather verse three, so do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be, your adornment should be the hidden person of the heart 
with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So when a woman has a gentle and quiet spirit, this implies that she has all the values, virtues, and qualities. That's it. And we must ask the Lord to give us that. We want that from the Lord. Very good. It says, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So you see what this is saying. So that behavior, the virtues and qualities and values of a Christian woman, a believer in the gospel, it says that this is very precious in the sight of God. Blessed is the Lord. And may he help us attain this, to live this life. Verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, so in another time, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. So they were submissive or subjected to their husbands. They respected them because by respecting them, they were pleasing God. But these husbands, again, were holy men. And we are talking about holy men and holy women. Now the apostle is teaching the Christian women who had been Jews and converted they now needed to live a different life in the gospel. And that God would then keep them in mind. The Lord would keep them in mind as women and would give them spiritual gifts and use them also to work in the gospel. But they needed to begin to do things right so that they could be an example to other people. And in verse number five, in verse number six, it reads, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now this is just a saying that she respected Abraham so much because he was a man of God and he was God's friend. And Sarah obeyed him and respected him. She cherished him, loved him, and called him Lord. Now, this is something that people and society doesn't like. They don't like these things. You know, I like these things. I think it's beautiful. How can we not please God? How can we not behave this very holy, righteous way so that God may say to others, you need to respect this person and appreciate them? For God to say that about us, well, that is wonderful. And this is how we become precious in the Lord's sight. The Lord will help us. And we will attain and live all of these beautiful things. And it says here in verse number six, I'm going to read it again. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are. Now, he is telling the Christian women who had been Jews. He said, you, you've now become daughters of Sarah if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. You have now become daughters of Sarah because of your behavior, because you have believed 
God has given you the Holy Spirit. Now you have the spiritual gifts. You are now working in the congregation. You're prophesying. And you are performing many duties within the church. Because in that time, at that point, there were women who were serving in the congregation. And those women, the Apostle Paul shares, and he speaks of a sister named Phoebe. He says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister. I advise you to treat her well because she is a servant, a deacon of the Lord and has helped many and has served alongside the apostles shoulder to shoulder. So even since that time, the Lord was already using women. So today, we also must serve God. Husbands, to serve God and be holy men, to deserve that honor and respect from their wives. You must set an example in good testimony and earn that blessing, all you husbands. And the same goes, and, and later on it also mentions how husbands should treat their wives in verse number 7, which reads, Husbands, now, again, these are husbands who are holy, not men who sin every day or who go about cursing or who are wrathful and they insult people in their home. They destroy everything when they get upset and who curse and make threats who are irresponsible. No, the apostle is not speaking to them. He is speaking to holy men, men of God. And it says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them, with your wives, with understanding giving honor so it says he the husband must give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel as a weaker vessel why because men are stronger than women in many different ways men are physically strong and he should not take advantage or abuse the fact that he's stronger than women and the woman is compared to that weaker vessel. And it says, These husbands who are holy must treat their wives with understanding, giving honor to them, and treating them like the weaker vessel, and as being heirs. So they, too, are heirs of eternal life. So the man is an heir to eternal life, and his wife is also, it says, being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So he was speaking to those holy men that if they wanted to be heard by God in their prayers, well, then they needed to also fulfill all of these requirements. Requirements given by the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of the Apostle Peter. And today, this sermon is not outdated. It's not obsolete. Today, God, through the spiritual gifts, through the Holy Spirit, through dreams, visions, and prophecy, the Lord teaches women how they should behave toward their husbands, and he teaches the husbands how to behave toward their wives. 
The Holy Spirit teaches that today, teaches that wise behavior and the responsibility each must have in order to have a marriage, a marriage that is a role model to others so that the children receive that good example. And speaking, of course, this is all within the congregation of the Lord between the men and women who say they are children of God. And it continues in verse number 8. Finally, so now he says, Finally, all of you, men and women, husbands and wives, finally, all of you, be of one mind. And he gives examples. Be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil meaning. No to revenge. No to revenge. No to reviling for reviling. It seems as though in that time, revenge ruled and also cursing one another. Do you think this no longer exists? It does exist today. There is revenge and there are curses and desiring bad things for another person. That exists today. And if the Holy Spirit taught this back in that time to those people, well, today the Holy Spirit teaches us to beware and to turn away from these improper things. And it says, again, not returning, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, it then cites Psalm 34. So in Psalm 34, verse 12 to 16, says, He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Meaning that a person should not be evil, wrathful, or a liar, someone who is a slanderer, a gossiper, envious, covetous, who deceives and lies and cons, who does all sorts of evil things, they should not do that. They, it says, if you want to see good days and have peace and joy in your life and blessings, well then do good. Turn away from evil, verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Again, it is on the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, on those who turn away from doing all of these improper things. And the ears of the Lord are open to their prayers. Glory to God. When you pray, do not doubt. Because you make a prayer and you say, oh, God is not listening. God is not hearing. I don't think he heard what I said. Do not doubt. 
God hears your prayers. Now, if he does not answer immediately, maybe it's because you're missing something, you're failing the Lord in something, or maybe it's not the time, but God does answer prayers. And it says that the Lord, his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against, it is against those who do evil. So this is why you must be very careful today. Be very careful in not doing anything evil and not sinning. What is to do evil? To commit adultery, fornication, to lie, to steal. Now it seems like I'm always repeating the same sins, but that is the only way that we are able to comprehend and understand what God wants to teach us. That is to do evil, to sin. To do evil is to sin. And when the Lord says, do not do evil, it means do not do what is wrong and improper. Verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? So if we do what is good, if we follow that righteous path and we do God's will, we please him. We're always praying. We seek the spiritual gifts. We seek to live in holiness. We seek for the Lord to take us by his hand, to be by our side. Well, then we need to do good. We need to turn away from what is evil. And in doing so, God will always be with us. Thanks be to our God for his promise. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Meaning, you if you live a righteous life before God, we're no longer speaking of marriage here and of husbands and wives. We're now speaking in general terms. If you turn away from all that is evil, if you are upright and righteous, you live a holy life before God. It says that you will be blessed. You are blessed. But it turns out Living a holy, upright life, the enemy then comes, places a trap, he persecutes us, harms us, makes us suffer, places tribulation and despair and anguish. That is what the enemy does. So God says, I will help you because you have lived an upright life before me and now the enemy has come to place all this harm, but I'm going to help this man or this woman because they please me and I need to help them away from the claws of the enemy. So if bad things happen to us while doing what is good, what is righteous, God will help us. That is what this is saying. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Meaning, we should not be afraid or troubled by suffering or anything that comes our way. Because God will see us through in the least expected moment. Verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So this is saying we need to live an upright life with God. We must sanctify God with our life, with our hearts. And we, with 
the good way we live our life with our example and testimony to show the world, to show people, to everyone else that we are living life with God so that by doing so, we will never be put to shame and we will always have the hope in our hearts that God will be pleased with us and he will bless us. Verse 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you, As evildoers. Now, it turns out in that time, when Peter was preaching to the Jews, the Gentiles, they at this point, many Gentiles had converted because the Apostle Paul was the one in charge of preaching to the Gentiles and he had his congregations with the Gentiles. And Peter, he had his congregation with the Jews who had converted to Christianity. Well, there was a lot of criticism, most likely coming from the Gentiles saying, well, those Jews, they are evildoers. Those Jews are evil because they sacrificed the Lord Jesus Christ. They sentenced him to death. They are evildoers. They are evil. So Peter is saying to these believers in that time, he says to them, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers because you sacrifice Christ on the Calvary, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So the apostle Peter tells them, do not worry because yes, it was true. Our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified and persecuted by the Jews, but you today, you've converted to the gospel You have converted to Jesus Christ. You are seeking the things of God. You have the spiritual gifts. God is going to bless you. God is blessing you. Do not feel bad by their slander. Do not feel bad when someone maybe yells at your face that you're an evildoer. Because maybe at one point you were, but you no longer are. Why? Because you have converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today... We may be persecuted as well. Maybe not because we crucified the Lord, but we will be criticized, speak against us, and slander us in a different way. They will slander us. So what do we do? Well, I'm not going to worry about the slander or what people will say of me because I converted to the Lord, so I'm now this and that. No, the Lord is with me. If God is for us, Who can be against us? So the Lord is with us. He defends us. That is what happened in verse 16. But today, we live this as well in a different way. In verse 17, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So it is better to do good So those who do good, they are persecuted. They suffer. And with greater reason, well, those who do evil will suffer, will have persecution, tribulation, evil days, and they will not have God to help them to put them back on their feet. But if we do good, and yet we still have persecution and tribulation, God will help us. He will help us afloat and will not let us drown. And we thank the Lord for that. Verse number 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. So our Lord Jesus Christ being just, he paid 
For all the sins of the unjust, the Lord paid for them all. And why did he do that? Well, he did that so he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, so he died in the flesh, but he resurrected in that glorious life. It says, put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Verse 19, by whom also, meaning that in the Spirit, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. So our Lord Jesus Christ, though he died in the flesh, three days later he resurrected, yet in that lapse of time, he did great work, very important work, and he preached the gospel to the spirits in prison. But what spirits in prison? Verse 20, those who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So, this is saying that our Lord Jesus Christ went and preached the gospel to those spirits in prison, to the people who lived before the flood. The Lord in Genesis does not tell us too much about that story and the people that existed before the flood. The Lord left behind very little and he left it almost up to our imagination and also with the help of the Holy Spirit he clarifies many things. But it says there that Noah was a preacher of God. When he was a preacher of God, it was because he preached to people. He preached repentance to repent because God was going to send a flood, flood waters, and all would die. And they did not believe. Why didn't they believe? Because in that time, it never rained. In the time before Noah, it never rained. And Noah preached and said, repent, turn away from sin. Don't do these things. There is a flood coming. Rain is coming. And all of this is going to be saturated and full of water and everyone will perish. Now we assume they did not believe. They didn't believe because it says they didn't. But we can just imagine how they mocked and laughed at Noah about something that they had never seen. Like if God were to tell us that something was coming later on and we don't know what that is and we have no understanding of it. But the children of God, we believe God, everything he says to us. The world is who mocks and laughs. But oh well. Now, what happened is Noah preached repentance. But they did not believe, so these are those spirits in prison. They are human beings, right? We can say that he went and preached to human beings, to men and women that existed in a different time who disobeyed the words of Noah. That while he prepared the ark and he spent 120 years building the ark, and during that time... He preached to people and no one believed him. So while he prepared the ark, there were only eight people 
that were saved. I hope that this concept is clear to you. And in verse 21, now Peter, he says something about the baptism. Verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us, the baptism. So it says that Noah was saved through water with his family. So the eight people, they were saved through water while in the ark. Why? Because while they were in this ark, beneath the ark, there was water and above them, there was the rain. So that is how they were covered. Although while still in the ark, they were covered by water. And this is how they were baptized. That is how the Lord saved them. While in the ark, there was water above them and water beneath them. And that is how they were baptized and saved. And that was the symbolism. The symbolism of the water baptism that we perform today. The Lord Jesus Christ told the apostles when he said to them, Go throughout all the world, preach the gospel, and whoever believes and is baptized shall shall be saved. Why? Because from there on out, they will begin to spiritually progress and they will begin to do God's will and then will be saved. So he says, and whoever believes and is baptized. And when Peter gave the first message and we find that in Acts chapter number two of the Bible, we find where Peter shares the first message of the gospel and the people say, well, what do we do? How can we attain eternal life? And Peter said, be baptized. Believe in Jesus Christ. Each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so you will have eternal life because you will begin to live life in the Lord, life in the gospel, a new phase in your spiritual life. The gospel, it is the new law, the new covenant. So it says that on that day, 3,000 converted, and were baptized by water in the name of Jesus, implying that they believe in Jesus Christ. He is God, the Son of God, the messenger of God. So they were baptized in the name of Jesus. For in the past, the Jews, they only had God and no one else. So the Lord came and taught and said, believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as that God as that different role that God works in as the son. But that was very difficult for the Jews in that time to believe. So this is why the Lord said to the apostles, preach throughout all the world and whoever believes and is baptized, because that is when that progress in their spiritual life will begin. That's when they will be saved. So Peter was saying what happened to Noah, that Noah was baptized in water in a way, while being in the ark, well, 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, let's all read. You two, brothers and sisters, everyone, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, and there's a parenthesis, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So I'm going to read this again without the parenthesis. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And it saves us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And the parenthesis is saying, the baptism saves us, but the only thing the baptism does not do is remove our appetite for sin. So a person can be baptized for what? They're making a commitment with God. The baptism is only to aspire to live a good life, to have a good conscience toward God. That is what the baptism, the water baptism is for. Because a person says, Lord, I want to follow this path. I want to follow it. I'm going to be baptized because I am committing myself to continue in this path of salvation because I want to have eternal life. That is what this baptism, the water baptism, is for. It is the aspiration of beginning to live a new life, upright life, before the Lord. It is the aspiration of a good conscience toward God. Blessed be the Lord. Now, it is necessary that those who want to follow the Lord's path, that they be baptized. And we faced a pandemic. It's been pretty much three years. And up till now, we were not able to carry out the water baptism because of that. But I think from here on out, we're going to start carrying out the water baptisms and we're already scheduling them so that those who desire and long and aspire to have a good conscience toward God may do that. So that those that aspire to live and have eternal life with God, that's what the baptism is for. It is that commitment with God. It is the aspiration. I want to live a new life. Now, there are people that are emotional. They get excited and they decide to be baptized. They spend a couple of years in the church and then go back to the world. God is who will charge each person. He will charge them according to their understanding. God is the one who is in charge of that. And we simply do what God commands. And what he tells us to keep and do, we do it and don't question so much. So that's what this is saying. So don't you think it's beautiful? This verse is beautiful regarding the baptism. And it says, it saves us, the baptism, because the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. But again, it does not take away your sinning tendencies a person, let's assume they are someone who drinks every day and they come to church and they say, I want to follow this path. I want to follow God and I'm ready to be baptized. And so they are baptized, but then they continue to drink. And he continues with his other sins, continues in that and doesn't change, but has already been baptized. He's made this commitment with God. So God is going to look at his heart and if he sees that in his heart he has a desire to change and to take away those sins and weaknesses from his life, from his body, well then God will help him and remove that. God transforms him until that person changes. That person changes and this is a transformation that is progressive. It doesn't happen from one day to the next. So God slowly takes that away. 
So this is why the apostle was completely right in saying that whoever is baptized, it's not that they have become perfect and holy all of a sudden, but it's a commitment they are making before God to continue on in the Lord's path. And in verse 22, who has gone into heaven, so our Lord Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, it says angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him, to him being Jesus Christ. Glory be to our God. So all are subject, submissive to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the angels, authorities, and all powers, everything that is great that can exist in the universe or in the heavens or there with God, all are subject and submissive to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Almighty, our God, the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The honor, the glory be for our God. Let us now pray, Holy Father. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy, your love, your holy word, Lord. Thank you, eternal God, for everything that you teach us, for all that we learn in your word. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, Lord, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. And I ask, Lord, in this moment that you stretch out your mighty hand, your healing hand, and that you heal, that you cleanse, that you deliver all people, men and women, those who are ill, those that suffer from different diseases. May you heal them, cleanse them all, remove all sickness, remove all curses of the devil, and destroy all the work of the evil one. And may you cleanse and deliver each person. Work miracles and signs in our life, my Father, and help us to continue to follow you. Help us to serve you with all of our heart, with all our soul. Father, we are in your hands. The church is yours. Thank you, Lord, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Blessed is the name of the Lord. And there is a chorus we sing, chorus 35. Oh, how great it is to sing to the Lord. If we can get a microphone to the sister Alexandra so she can help sing this chorus and everyone to sing along as well because my throat's a little sore. Chorus 35. Oh, how great it is to sing to the Lord. Qué precioso es, qué precioso es cantarle al Señor. Qué precioso es, qué precioso es cantarle al Señor. Oh, hermanos, vamos a cantarle. Qué precioso es, qué precioso es cantarle al Señor. Oh, hermanos, vamos a cantarle. Qué precioso es, qué precioso es cantarle al Señor. Qué precioso es, qué precioso es cantarle al Señor. Qué precioso es, qué precioso es cantarle al Señor. Oh, hermanos, vamos a cantarle. Qué precioso es, qué precioso es cantarle al Señor. Oh, hermanos, vamos a cantarle. Qué precioso es, qué precioso es cantarle al Señor. 
precioso es, qué precioso es, cantarle al Señor. Glory to our God. The Lord has revealed and told me and said that he is pouring many blessings to many of you, to thousands of you. He's giving you many blessings. And continue and press on. Be steadfast and stand in the Lord. And seek his things with all of your heart because he is going to pour many blessings and much triumph. Thank you very much. God bless you. For all the children, kisses, and to all of you, a big hug. Thank you. Yes.